Welcome to the Miles Not Included podcast. I'm Joe. And I'm Brian. Run with us as we talk training, racing, and everything in between. All right, welcome to episode 10. We've done it, Brian. Double, double digits. Double digits, that's right. We, we were doing the double intro there for a second. That was nice. Yeah. Well, today we got really special guest for our first double digit episode. We've got on a woman who ran across the United States and I don't know, just ridiculous. Un- Re- unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. Self-supported. Yeah. that I mean, there's just so many levels of what she did that I don't know. can't get my mind around, but we'll get there in a minute. First, it's time for Miles in Review. All right. So I got to tell you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start it up, Brian. Usually I kick it over to you, but I'm, I'm pretty proud of my week, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start it first. So basically last week, uh, this week I should say, I had a repeat of last week, which was good because last week was super solid, uh, came in good mileage, good quality, and I almost, not verbatim, but I repeated a lot of, a lot of the week and very happy with it. I capped off the week with a 16 and a half mile long run. Very hilly, uh, very challenging. Um, my legs are going to feel this one for a number of days. But no, I'm really happy given we're about five weeks out from the marathon right now, uh, right where I want to be. I'm hoping to just keep building on this for a few more before we taper it up. So how many weeks do you see out of these five weeks where you'll actually be getting decent distance before you really start tapering? I was actually just talking about this uh, earlier. So I'd like to, for this one, given how my training's gone, I didn't have a ton of base coming in. I'll probably go with the shorter side of the taper. So I'm probably thinking 10, 12-day taper. So I'll probably cut this one a little bit closer just because I haven't done a lot of quality or a lot of miles. So, um, you know, freshen up there at the end and cross my fingers and we'll see how it goes. Good stuff. So for me, I also pretty closely replicated my previous week's training. I got one day of doubles in. The rest of my miles were pretty consistent. Uh, My long run this past weekend was actually 22 miles, a little more than I usually do. And it was a great run. The temperature was great. I was actually out there in shorts. The only problem I had was at about mile 21 and a half when I was just trying to find miles on a side road. I managed to find a little patch of ice and I slipped a little. And uh, I felt a little bit of a pull in my uh, groin region, which is where my hip injury tends to show up. And so this morning I was actually a little bit sore when I went for today's run, despite taking yesterday off. But I think it's okay. I think it's just tight. So I've been trying to focus on stretching that out. But other than that, you know, it was a a solid week for me. My long run, I was actually dead on pace for what my planned marathon goal time was. So that's making me rethink a little bit since I know I'll be able to push a little more come race day. But it's trying to find that balance of, what's pushing too hard when my goal is really just to finish one because I didn't get any in last year. So I'll be playing with that over the next couple of weeks. 
That's a super solid long run. What are you thinking about this week for the long run then? Are you going to take it back a little bit? Yeah, I haven't decided yet. I'm looking at either 18 to 20. I don't want another 22. I think it's just, <laughs> it's it's too much, honestly. I think it was a nice taste and a confidence builder, seeing as I haven't done much in the way of true quality work this year or, or this cycle. Uh, so it, it just really you know helped boost my confidence. I don't think it's a requirement for people to go that far. I know a lot of people do a lot shorter than that. Uh, you know, I think it's just for where I am in this cycle, it worked. Yeah. yeah well, I th- I'm thinking about stepping it up. I've done yeah a couple 16s now and feeling pretty good. And I came in right around that two hour mark, which is, which is great. I mean, that's a solid long run, but yeah, I'm thinking I'll probably try this weekend to do my longest. So maybe we'll connect there somewhere around that 19, 20 mile mark. Yeah, that'd be great. Cool. Well, I think you hit on it too, Brian. The other big thing we got going for us right now is the weather's finally starting to turn, hitting some 40s, starting to get really, well, that's that's daytime high. Morning's a little bit chillier, still in the upper 20s, but we're getting dangerously close to that shorts weather, which is going to be a huge boost. Yeah, and especially once all this snow is gone, ideally when we can get back on those trails, I am so looking forward to it but for those that don't know where we run we for the winter we have streets available to us but we have a great trail not far from where we work and we just take advantage of that thing all summer long and right now running on the roads i'm really missing that trail yeah i think in terms of trail we're still a ways out i kind of slowly rolled by one of the trailheads today and saw that yeah, we're we're a couple 50-degree days before you're even going to see the bottom of the trail, and then I'm just wondering how long till all that stuff you know, dries out. But we'll take what we can. At least, at least we're off the treadmills and onto the streets, which is, which is huge given how many treadmill runs we've had. Ugh, too many to count. <laughs> too many. Well, yeah. So with that, let's get going. Let's get on to our interview. Well, before we get to that, I just wanted to throw a quick shout out there. If any of you are fans of the show, be sure to rate us on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. You know, preferably a five star. Uh, if you want to give us one star, remember uh, the name of our show is This American Life. Otherwise, if you want to give us five stars, it's Miles Not Included. So enjoy the show. In July of 2014, our guests completed a nearly 3,400-mile run across the United States in only 90 days. Unbelievably, she made the coast-to-coast run solo and self-supported. She became only the second female to claim this accomplishment. As if this weren't enough, she raised more than $27,000 for charity. Today, we are excited to talk with Jessica Goldman. Jessica, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, so we're, we, we want to dive right into your amazing accomplishment. But before we go there, can you give us a little bit on your running background? Sure. It's probably not what you would expect, actually. Um, I didn't really start running seriously until I was about 36 years old. Um, I had, you know, been on a bicycle and had maybe gone jogging here and there, but I had never run competitively. Um, And then once I started, um, you know, around 2009, um, I didn't waste any time. (laughs) I started running and I I met some 
people through my local runners club, the Rochester Runners, and I just wanted to learn as much as possible about it and slowly work my way up as far as miles go. Um, and from there, I ended up running across America. It's funny how these things happen. <laughs> it's a logical step. Yeah. So what were the early your early running days then? Were you were you doing competitive races or were you just doing it for fun? Well, I kind of um I was sort of doing it for fun in the beginning. I love wearing costumes, so I would, you know, make show up at the turkey trot in a ridiculous turkey outfit or dressed up like mashed potatoes. But then I started realizing, you know, looking at the results, I was like, Wow, I'm not really I'm not half bad when I look at my age group. And I ended up, I, I met um, a local runner here. His name's Scott Rowe, who he's just a very, very smart person. And he, he worked his way up. He started as a Clydesdale and ended up running with the elites in Boston one year. So I was like, okay, I'm going to pick this guy's brain and learn everything that I can from him. And he sort of took me under his, wing and started, you know, teaching me how he ran and how he trained. Um, and although it's not exact, I would say I've, I've, most of my training has been more Lydiard style, like, you know, high mileage, not a lot of speed work, um, more, you know, running hills. And, you know, from building up to my trip, I was running pretty close to 100 mile weeks for years to build up my running economy and, um, you know, get the experience and the miles on my feet. So, so was, you know. was running across the U.S. your initial goal or, you know, did you go through the progression of 5K, 10K, half marathon, full marathon? Yeah, I mean, I sort of like that. Like, I didn't do multiples. I, you know, I, I ran... Once I did a half marathon, I was like, okay, I'm going to run a marathon. And then I started realizing, you know, that it seemed like the further the distance, the better I did. Um, and just, you know, that I seem to have, if I have any kind of a superpower, it's probably recovery time. And so I started working on that as, you know, how, how, how much can I run? And how quickly can I recover to do it again? And then I think it's really hard to even remember how it all came about. I think it was actually when I was out running on one of the, the rail trails here. We In New Hampshire, we have some great um, you know, old railroad beds converted into trails. And I saw somebody go by on a bike. And it reminded me because um, back in 1999, I rode a bicycle across the country. And I looked at him and I was like, wow. I remember biking across the country and I was running and at the time I was, you know, oh, I can run pretty far and it just kind of clicked. Like, I wonder if I could run across the country. And then, you know, when I first thought of it, I had no idea. Has anybody even done that before? And that's what, you know, sort of brought me to the computer and then finding the U USA Crossers website where it lists sort of a history of people who have crossed the United States on foot since I think it goes all the way back to 1909 um, and just seeing like wow okay there, you know people have done this but not very many and then trying to figure out you know initially I was thinking that okay I'll get a support crew and have somebody follow me but it's really 
it's a huge investment to do that. You need a lot of money. And then I tend to do most of my things by myself anyway. So I started realizing, you know, maybe this, maybe I need to go self-supported. And that in itself was a process, just trying to figure out how how it's possible to even carry everything you need doing that kind of distance and mileage. I mean, it was, there was a lot of research that went into it, basically. Sure. And you had actually done your the bike ride. That was solo, self-supported, right? Correct, yes. Okay, so you had a little bit of experience on maybe what that would entail. So you had a little ahead of the game. Yeah, and I mean, I also, you know, I'm a former Peace Corps volunteer, and I think I had a lot of skills that just came from, from that, you know, from living in remote areas without electricity and running water and having to carry my basic essential needed things around with me and sort of roughing it a little bit. So um, I had that going for me. Yeah. Uh, and then a lot of it was just trial and error. You know, you start off thinking that you know what you're doing and then you realize, you know, okay, this thing isn't, this thing's going to fall apart. I need to rearrange this and, <laughs> you know, trial and error is really how, how I got through. Yeah, so so share with us the logistics that went into this because I think when you really sit down and start thinking about it, like you've outlined, I mean it's it's a massive uh, massive endeavor. Even if you have a support crew, but you're talking about it's just you out there pushing your stuff in a stroller. So what went into the route planning and everything else that you had to think about to make that a success? Well, I um, first of all, I went in and was trying to go through different, you know, like the weather websites, and I, I went through and tried to pinpoint, you know, different start dates and end dates and how long it would take me to get from one place to, to the next because I was trying to make sure that the, the major snow would be melted in, in the mountains in California by the time I got there, but then also to give me enough time to get through Tornado Alley before tornado season. So there was a lot of planning that that sort of went into researching, you know, just the, the normal temperature high and lows and different weather patterns. Um, and then I knew I wanted to take a similar course from when I rode my bicycle. And I sort of, you know, just piece by piece went through and tried to plot out a route that made the most sense where I wouldn't be you know, I don't like to go through major cities just because it's, there are still a lot of places that are very unfriendly towards pedestrians. Um, I had to look at different, the, the distances between um, services, like where I could get food and water, especially in uh, Nevada, that things get a little bit tricky there. Um, and so I had this grand route mapped out and set out um, I'm not sure if you heard the piece about how I think it. Geez, I think it was my second day. I think it was only it was day two or was it day three? Um, I got hit in California. I got hit by um, a little uh, what do they call those things? A dust devil, like a little mini tornado spout thing, mm-hmm. and um, it tore up my cart and it took my Garmin device that had my route and shot it as far up in the air as I could see and ditched it out in the field. Jeez. Uh, I can laugh about this now, but at the time I was just, I mean, it, 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 it ripped, um, you know, I had like a little 
drink holder on the front of my part, it ripped that, tore that right off and blew it away. It tore the fender off of my front tire, um, just kind of shredded everything up. But at, but after that, you know, I was like in the very first couple of days of my trip, and I no longer had a route. So, um, haha, big funny joke. <laughs> All the planning that went into that. So, and I mean, I remember basic landmarks and everything, but I, yeah. I really had to, um, sort of wing it a little bit every day. How, how how do you recover from that? So, yeah, I mean, you've got a GPS with all these waypoints, and it, this is going to be nice and easy. I'll follow along, and then that's gone. How, how do you recover from that? I mean, basically, I, ha- I had to, you know, some some places were easier. You know, out west, at least, you're on the same road for a really, really long time. So there isn't, like, a, like a huge amount of navigation to be done. Um, but once I started you know, getting closer, getting to certain junctions, I would have to, and my, I mean, my time was so limited just because I was getting up at, you know, five in the morning, getting my day started and running almost all day long. And then at night I, I had to, you know, in addition to trying to find food and hand washing my laundry and organizing myself, I'd have to get online and look at my route for the next day and try to figure out where I was and where I needed to go and where I'd, you know, hopefully be able to find a place to stay. And I did, um, later, later on in the trip, I had a, a, a an old friend from high school, um, sort of jumped in and was sending me, um, you know, support and advice and directions and things to help me out. So it was, it was complicated. <laughs> yeah, it, it sounds like it. So going into this, what, did you have a, what was your biggest fear, would you say, going into the run? Um, I mean, really, it's it's mostly bad drivers. You mm-hmm. know, that's kind of the the biggest danger of being out on the road is really people who are texting and driving mm-hmm. and, you know, whatever, putting on makeup and driving, doing paperwork and driving, and just, you know, some of the roads that, you end up on there's a very small shoulder there's a lot of switchback corners so um it was sort of a daily battle and it you know gets exhausting after a while you're like oh i need to do this again you know trying to build up the courage every morning to go back out i mean some some areas were fine and not heavily trafficked but there were there were other places where it was pretty stressful so so you didn't anticipate the uh, dust devil blowing your gps and and breaking (laughs) it wasn't on there I didn't think. I never dreamed of that. And I mean, uh, the, later on, the weather did become a serious problem. And it was kind of sort of an eye opener just thinking back to 1999 when I rode my bike and comparing how the weather was then to this trip. And it's, oh, yeah, I guess, you know, those things that you read about the weather getting more extreme. It's true. <laughs> gotcha. I think from, um, you know, when I was crossing, um, across the border out of Utah from there until, geez, I don't even know. I mean, it was like the majority of my trip every morning, I would, I would look at the weather and it was in the red for some reason, whether it was a, you know, the blizzard that hit um, Colorado Zephyr, I was there for that. 40, there were 45 mile an hour winds, tornadoes, golf ball sized hail, golf ball sized hail, like zero visibility fog. It was ridiculous. I've never seen such crazy weather in my life. 
So what gets you out the door in the morning when you know that weather is waiting out there for you? Because, you know, around here, if it's drizzling, I'll stick to a treadmill. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, and I, I normally, um, I use the treadmill very rarely. And I mean, I live in New England, so be, you know, I am, I have a certain toughness when it comes to the variations of weather, but I think, you know, what was different is, you know, when there's a tornado coming, you can't just stay outside. I mean, it's not, you have to get inside. So that was just frustrating, um, you know, because that's when my, my, my time goals started going out the window. I originally was, you know, I, I filed to try to, you know, get a new record for female crossing, but it's just without a crew or anything, it was sort of impossible when, you know, so many days it would be, usually it was like three o'clock, you know, by three o'clock I'd have to stop running because a tornado was coming in. So I'd have to make sure I found somewhere safe to be and it cut, cut my time short. So I wanted to ask you, I know in the, in, as part of your training, you had added multiple runs during the day. What was, what was a typical day of running like for you? Were you out there for a continuous period of time or would you run for a few hours, eat something, take a small break, pick it back up? You know, I kind of, I built it up. So, and that's what I mean. You know, like my main training goal was to try to work on shortening my recovery time. So, you know, so I would, I started off with like three shorter runs and yeah, you know, I'd, I'd run in the morning you know, go, go to work, run again, do a run in the middle of the day, you know, go back to work or doing whatever I was doing and then run a third time in the evening. And then towards the end, um, I was trying to do a lot of, uh, you know, like in the same way that you would train for an ultra, I was doing back to back, but I was trying to get, um, 40 to 45 mile days in on my weekends. You know, so Saturday I'd try to get between 40 and 45, and then Sunday between 40 and 45. And, you know, depending depending on the day and the weather, again, because that was that was coming out of a New England winter um, in early spring where it was still very cold and snowy, I would either do doubles or triples depending on how long I could be outside, you know, thinking about um, cold exposure issues. But, um, you know, that's really building up my miles to be able to do that and sort of getting my body used to, um, okay, you know, this is normal. <laughs> I had to convince my body that that was normal and it worked. The, so that was all good. <laughs> that's just incredible. And it, it, I guess the proof that the body can really adapt. So those first couple, let, let's say that first week out there, how did, how did you feel? And was that a feeling that you were able to replicate in the training um, I, I, it was a rough start just because I was coming from New Hampshire winter and, you know, starting in California, it was very, you know, all the weather research I did went right out the window. It was very abnormally hot, um, you know, so it was like between 70 and 80 degrees and my body was in a little bit of shock because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I never really got to train pushing my, my stroller, my thingamabob. So that was all kind of new. Um, and it was definitely as much as I tried to have that 
uh, modified and adapted to make it like I was running normally, I definitely had changed body mechanics. And so in the very beginning, I was feeling just the effects of running differently and pushing the extra weight and, you know, going through the altitude in the mountains. And there were so many factors that had not been a part of my training that, you know, it was a tough start. But I knew that, and I actually um, planned on starting off with my mileage being a little bit lower in the beginning, which I think was a good idea. And, you know, I was doing more like, I think the first day was 43. I was starting in the low 40s. And then once I got to Nevada, got more into like 55, 50 or 55 miles a day. So so you mentioned... I would, I would recommend that, even trying, because the beginning part is pretty tough. <laughs> So you mentioned that you knew your training would be a little different than when you actually got out there. What At what point do you know you've trained adequately to take on a task like this? Well, I mean, the best advice that I can give to anyone trying to do something like this is to be prepared to be unprepared. You know, because you basically you're going to have factors come in that you haven't dealt with before. And so just having having the flexibility to adapt to any situation is really important. I think if I had tried to approach it like a math formula or, you know, like I have to do this many miles every day or I have to do it exactly like this, I think it wouldn't have worked. I think you really need to listen to your body and just be able to adjust to whatever your environment's going to be and, you know, be able to sort of every day fall apart and put yourself back together again the next morning because it's, you know, it's a challenge. That's the, that's the whole reason why it's so exciting is it's a challenge and you can't really plan on every little detail. So being being ready to, to you know, take on something that you weren't ready for is sort of part of the whole adventure. Yeah. So speaking of listening to your body, I know you're a massage therapist. So how did did this help you in any way during during your run? Oh, definitely. Yeah. And I mean, I worked on myself pretty much every evening. Um, you know, I had different um salves and bombs and I'm I'm also um a practicing herbalist and so I I never People are always floored. I never took any, you know, ibuprofen or any kind of um, anti-inflammatories that you would take as a pill. I did everything herbally and had different things that I would treat my body with in the evenings and definitely massaging my feet and my legs and, um, you know, just using topical salves and stuff helped me stay healthy. Um and just, you know, understanding my body. And, you know, I think part of the problem is, and I think any runner understands this, is that there's always going to be a camber to the road. And so running on the same side of the road at the same tilt for a really long distance, you know, your left your left side is always going to be aggravated. And so I kind of had to baby that side of my body. But, um, I, yeah, I mean, miraculously, I... I never really, during that whole time, I never really had any injury, so to say. I had different little things crop up, but nothing major. 
Yeah, that that really is incredible. Given, I mean, what you what you put your body through there. So you mentioned um, some of the stuff you carried along. Can, if we can go back just for a second, then describe. I mean, you're carrying every everything you need for for this run um, at any one point in time. You're you're carrying this. So water. Um, extra clothes, food, nutrition, all that stuff. Walk us through how much how much that weighed and, and kind of some of the things you had to bring. So definitely it changed off and on. And, I mean, what I was pushing was I, I bought a Bob Ironman stroller off of Craigslist, and then my friend is an engineer, so he helped me, um, you know, strip it down and put in, little aluminum frame with a, a cargo compartment that was made out of material that's like, you know, the stuff that they make, um, like when kayakers use those dry bags, it's a similar material to that. Mm-hmm. So it was just a very lightweight, you know, carrying compartment filled with my things. And then the top, um, I had a fold-out solar panel that laid across the top that would actually be charging my, um, my phone. It would have charged my my garment <laughs> if it didn't here. Um, and then I also had a, um, a spot tracking device that I had on me so that people could, you know, know my location. And it just kind of, um, you know, for people wanting to know if I was, you know, it, to hold, hold me accountable to where I was. People could look on the map and see where I was at any point in time. Um, I had all my gadgets and then... Yeah, I mean, the heaviest thing is water. So really, depending on where I was, the weight of my um, stroller was much different. Like in Nevada, you're looking at between 50 and 55 miles without anywhere to fill up on water sometimes. So um, that was one of the heaviest areas. It, got, I'd, it was probably, I'd say it ranged from um, probably... 50 or 60 pounds to 90. Wow. As far as the weight. So, um, you know, and I also had to have spare tires and spare parts and a pump and things to fix, you know, whatever was going to break, and um, which mostly was flat tires. That was really the, the only thing that I had to deal with. Everything else held up pretty well. How many flats did you get along the way? Um. And that's why I can't remember, but it was kind of, it was the reason that I would get flats was always, you know, when, when semi trucks blow a flat, there's little pieces of um, steel wire on the side of the road. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much what caused my flats all the time, but it was really hard to find it. And sometimes it would have put multiple holes in. So I'd like spend all this time changing a flat tire and get back out and, and it would go flat again. <laughs> wow. Sometimes there were like multiple flats in a row. But, um, so you, you just, know, it was, so you just, you just I kind of accept it. <laughs> yeah. So when you get those flats, then you just stay positive and know that's just part of, part of the journey. Yeah. I mean, there was one time, where was I? I think I was in Utah where it was just, Breathing cold, um, super windy, and so you know I'm trying. I was trying to listen. I would pump it up, and I was trying to listen to find out where the air was leaking from, and I just couldn't hear anything. Um, and I ended up I cut my hand open. I'm like sitting there bleeding on the side of the road. My stuff's blowing away, and 
some guy, like, I hadn't even seen cars forever, and some guy showed up on a bicycle who was t- who was touring. Oh. Uh, it was kind of a great moment where he's like, you know, let me help you with this. And I was like, that would be great. And then it t- the two of us were there for, like, I don't know, probably a half hour. It was like we could not get this tire changed out. It was a struggle, but, you know, sometimes... Sometimes the troubles that you have are just the reasons why you meet, you know, as other, other, we call ourselves transcons, transcontinental crossers, but we talk about road angels. You know, these mm-hmm. people show up. You're like, wow, if this didn't happen, I never would have met you. So <laughs> try to look at the positives, I guess. Yeah. And, and you talk about, um, kind of reading some of, uh, your writing there. You talk about how many amazing and incredible people you met along the way. What I guess what struck you most about the people that you encountered? It, well, it was just, um, you know, when I rode my bike in 1999, there was there was no Facebook, there was no nobody knew that I was out there. There was no awareness of who I was or what I was doing. I was just, you know, finding payphones every now and then and calling my family, and so this whole like different world of having social media. And realizing, like, wow, there's people all over the United States who are following my story. And, I mean, you know, I'm this girl from rural New Hampshire, and I would be somewhere, you know, in the middle of California, and people would drive by and, and say things to me by name. They would be like, Jessica! And I was <laughs> just blown away. <laughs> you know, like, it was just so crazy to me that, um, you know, people even knew who I was. And then and the fact that, just the, the the kindness that people would show to offer me to come in and stay in their family homes and make me dinner. And I mean, I had hotels and bed and breakfasts where their business is to charge people money to stay there and they would haunt me in my rooms. So it was just, yeah, it was a little bit overwhelming. Like how people have this perception of like, oh, you shouldn't go out there. It's going to be dangerous. And really it's like, no, you know what? Like, there are a lot of really nice people out there, and I, I hope that, that that was a message that came through to anybody that was watching my journey. Yeah, as, as I go back through and read your entries, and I, it's really neat to see all the different uh, people you encountered and um, all the different people you met and the ways they encouraged you and, and helped you. I thought that was it was really impressive. So one of the the quotes I saw that I thought was really awesome, um, as you were, I think it was as you were kicking off your run, uh, you said, I am reminded every day that there is a higher purpose. And I, I thought that was really, uh, you know, really powerful statement. And I know part of what um, had to have motivated you along the way was the fundraising you were doing for the Brain Injury Association of America. Can you tell us about the experience of not only being out there, like you said, you're out there alone, but you're not, and you're out there for kind of this higher purpose. Um, share with us a little bit more about uh, the BIA. Yeah, well, um, it's kind of a long and complicated story, but I guess to try to make it as short as possible, I um, not too long ago I was uh, serving the Peace Corps in Ethiopia, And I was a passenger in a taxi um, that hit someone. And it was just an awful um, sort of change, changed my life, that experience, just to be involved in something like that and and see 
the effects that it had on this person and to know that there, like that person didn't have any support or services and I never really knew if he, you know, survived or what happened to him. And it kind of, you know, I, I, I had an emotional breakdown and I ended up coming home early from my service and this all sort of tied together where I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to be running across the country and I can get people's attention and I can do something. I can turn that bad experience that I had into something positive. And that's when I connected with the, the Brain Injury Association of America. And, um, you know, they made it possible for me to do a fundraiser that would sort of support people with brain injury all, you know, across the United States. Because, pretty much, you know, every state has their own um, chapter. But I'm also, you know, I, I have... I have a few friends that struggle with brain injury and just putting things into context for myself on a daily basis. You know, if I'm out there, yeah, it's going to be hard, My whatever, my feet are tired, I'm hungry, but, you know, I look at my friends that have brain injury and nobody cares about them. Nobody's driving by and cheering them on, you know, like nobody's giving them all this great attention that I got, but they're going through struggles every single day that for the most part are invisible. You know, they're not, I mean, it's like for some people just being able to pick up a spoon and eat food might be really challenging because they're trying to, you know, get some skills back that they had before. Um, And so just realizing like really how, as much as it seemed hard, what I was doing, a lot of it is pretty trivial when you look at the big picture. So those are the kind of things that kept me going. You know, like, I don't want to, if I give up because of this, should I think that those guys should give up? Definitely not. So I need to keep going. <laughs> yeah, well, you're a tremendous inspiration in um, just reading all the press and the awareness and hopefully through this program and the others you've done, you've certainly not only raised a great amount of money, but brought that awareness that you wanted. Yeah, thanks for sharing. So kind of fast forward a little bit through through your run then. So, I mean, you travel this tremendous, you know, 3,000 3, plus miles um, and you, you start to near um, New York City. What was that feeling like to, to know that the end of this journey uh, is near? It was very surreal, actually, because... It's such a hard thing to explain, but I feel like throughout the trip, I was kind of, you have to put up barriers. You know, you can't, when you're doing something like that, you can't, you can't really acknowledge pain. You can't acknowledge your fatigue. You can't, you know, I, I definitely could not, um, I felt like I couldn't be a woman. Like I had to put up these (laughs) barriers to be like, I am not putting energy out in this way. I'm not taking energy in this way. And so I had all these like shields and bubbles and things covering me up. And, you know, you get a little bit um, withdrawn. And so it was almost like I, I couldn't, I couldn't think about the future. You know what I mean? I couldn't be like, Oh, wow, I have this many days to go or this many miles to go. I really had to stay in that exact moment. And so when I started to get, towards the end, it was almost like I I wasn't ready for it. I remember the first time I saw the New York skyline, I stopped. I just stopped, and it was like it 
it shocked me. I was, I was, I just stood there and stared at it like, what? Is that, <laughs> like, is this even possible? Like, that's New York right there. Um, and it was just a very strange feeling, sort of very, um, I didn't really feel like it, like it ended to some degree, you know, like just getting there. It didn't, it didn't even seem real. It was like, okay, I must, this must be part of my imagination. I can't really be finishing this right now. <laughs> but, so, so that night, you know, after, you know, you finish, you, your head hits the pillow that morning, the next morning when you wake up and you don't have to get out the door and go run, you know, the run is done. What, what was that feeling? It was very strange. And I almost, you know, just, just the fact, like, I mean, I slept in a different place for 91 days in a row. Wow. So, you know, you wake up and don't even really know where you are. It's like, you know, open your eyes. Where, where am I? Where's the bathroom? Like, where am I? Okay. How many hours do I have until I have to wake up? Just trying to get out of this strange cycle of, okay, (laughs) how do I, you know, get back to a normal lifestyle again? Um, And I mean, I didn't really, once I came home, I didn't, I had to sort of, you know, get motivated and get back to work and organize myself. And I had a lot of things to take care of, but it was definitely, it was a, it was a much more difficult transition than I had anticipated. And taking a break, I, you know, I, I had thought about this before, but it's, it's so hard to explain. I mean, it's almost like when you stop running like that, it's almost like quitting a drug cold turkey. I got so depressed just from not from not running 50 miles a day or whatever because my body was so used to that and um you know I took a short break and then I was just like wow I need to run again (laughs) because you know that's it's part of my life and to just you know stop to take a rest can be really difficult so um, so I'm sure other people out there can relate to that so in that rest period, I'm sure you had to do a certain amount of recovery just to make sure your body was back in proper order. And, you know, I'm sure you had little bumps and bruises and nicks. And um, was there any special recovery that you had to do because of the distance you had gone? No, not really. I mean, for the most part, I I wasn't really injured. Um, and that's sort of the the glory of the long, steady distance training is everything sort of built up to be pretty tough if anything that was problematic it's just my feet are probably my toenails will be gross for the rest of my life I think just from (laughs) you know because if you you know running downhill it always kind of pries your toenails up a little bit well when you have this you know 60 to 90 pound cart attached to you and dragging you down a hill it's the pressure on your toes is even worse so that was sort of you know my constant battle but I can understand, you know, I always heard about, like, uh, Marshall Ulrich removing his toenails, and I was like, that's crazy. But now now that I went through that, I'm like, wow, that's sort of genius. <laughs> <laughs> now I understand. <laughs> Please tell me you're not researching that. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, I wasn't really, everything was in, in pretty good shape for the most part, so... Yeah, I mean, I mean that's that is amazing. To, you think about what you put your your body through over those three months, and to to come out the other end like that. That's, I mean, that's a going back to your your question, Brian. I think 
that kind of says it, I guess. You don't know until after the exam if the training was, was adequate, and certainly it must have been. So so looking back then, um, what would you say, I don't know if there's one particular thing you can, you can point to, but um, what did you learn about yourself through that, through that three-month ordeal? Well, I think I expected it to be this, I thought I was going to have a lot of time to have this um, deep thought about my life and think about the future and the past and have all of this time for like introspection. Um, and that didn't really happen. I, I went into this and I mean, I guess it's like a survival mode where, like I said, it was the, just being like sort of right in that moment a lot to like, you know, not, um, I couldn't think about the future. I couldn't think about the challenges that I had ahead of me. I had to just deal with everything like piece by piece to get through what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of, you know, in hindsight, I named I named my fund, fundraiser Forward Motion. And I guess that's really what that is about is, you know, if you, if you can break things down into really tiny steps and just take it piece by piece, I think that we're all just, capable of doing so much more than we can imagine you know if you if you don't think about the big picture and just do it bit by bit um i think that you know i definitely have confidence that i can accomplish things now especially you know going into that there were a lot of people that told me i couldn't do it so really um, so i mean these are people you know that are telling you hey can't be done yeah, I just get a lot of like, you know, oh, there's no way you can do that. You're not going to be able to run that many miles. You you're, you can't push a cart like that. You can't push all of your weight. How are you going to do that? Or like, it's so dangerous. You're never going to be able to. And so, you know, that's, I, I think that, um, I guess if you're going to accomplish something big, you're probably going to have to put up with that, you know? Mm-hmm. That, that that might be a sign like, wow, I'm, I'm about to do something amazing because everybody's telling me that I can't. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm definitely, I definitely feel confident that I, you know, as an endurance athlete, I have, I have the skills to get through things that I never imagined were possible. So. Well, I mean, this, this, your run was amazing on, on so many levels. And I understand that you're in the process of writing a book, which I know will, Brian and I will be excited to read. Can you tell us how that's going? Actually, I started writing it and had a horrible block and I couldn't move on. So I actually ended up scrapping the entire first version and started over and I have much more of a flow going on with that. Um, it makes me laugh though. I'm like, wow, it's going to take me like 10 times longer to write the book about what I did than actually doing what I did. (laughs) (laughs) For some reason, like sitting down and and writing it and having it come out in the, in a proper flow is a little bit tricky, but, um, you know, and it's also, it's just a little bit emotional because as I write, I'm reliving a lot of what happened and, you know, processing things that I've already gone through, but at the time I may not have fully processed it because again, I was in some kind of a survival mode. So, um, 
yeah, the writing itself is probably I'm learning more about the trip as I go through it and break things down into details and remember different things that happened. Yeah. Well, good for you. And, and I think going and putting it now into words, I, I guess you're, um, it takes some courage too, right? To, to go through that process and tell your story. Cause again, you're kind of opening yourself up. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also, you know, talking about other people too. I'm like, wow, you know, cause I've met so many different characters on this trip and like I hope you know I want to make sure I portray everybody in, in a good way for them to you know like what I'm writing and to go through the details are the hardest part because I'm like wow good thing I logged a lot of this on Facebook because already you know I try to remember the name of a town and I'm like I have no idea I passed through you know I passed through probably different towns that all had the same name in different states so many times just because. You know, every day you're going to different places, so it's kind of hard to remember the details. Yeah, I can I, I can only imagine. <laughs> well, awesome. I, I, I can't thank you enough for your time. Jessica, if um, if people want to keep up with you, where's the best place for them to uh, to keep up? Well, you know, I, I haven't been very active on it just because, um, you know, I'm back to working and... Um, I, although I'm I'm down with a injury right now, I'm, I've been very busy uh, training for race season. But I I still have my um, Jessica Golden Forward Motion page on Facebook, um, and I try to check that you know at least once a week to go on and see if anybody's on there. But um, if people have questions or things, you know that's usually where I go and communicate with with folks. So that that's what I have right now. Awesome. Well, thanks again for your time. I mean, your your story was is super fascinating, and we're really honored to get get to talk with you in person here. Well, thank you. I actually I enjoyed talking about it, so I appreciate awesome. it. Awesome. We'll get well and, and get back running. We'll catch up soon. Yeah. Best of luck. All right. Great. Thank you. Okay, that does it for now. Follow us on Twitter. Brian is at RunGooseRun, and I'm at McRunner26. Until next time, keep running. Want more info on the podcast? Head over to MilesOnIncluded.com. Are you on Twitter? We are too. Find us at MNI Podcast. Any questions, comments, or even like to be a guest on the show? Hit us up at podcast at MilesNotIncluded.com. Music